But First Chronicles uh, chapter 21, and we're going to look through a very kind of obscure story uh, in the Old Testament that talks about uh, worship, okay? Uh, so First Chronicles chapter 21, you have King David, who is, uh, who is probably one of the most important figures in all of the Old Testament outside of Moses and Elijah kind of thing. And so he is the king over Israel. And to this day, if you were to ask an Israelite, what is the most important king that you've ever had? They would respond, King David is our most important king that we've ever had. Uh, he is super important. And he started out really awesome. I mean, killing giants and taking over land and he establishes a kingdom and uh, things are really good for David at the very beginning. But if you read kind of later down the line in his life, things begin to go a little bit haywire. He struggles immensely within his kingdom. He struggles with his own children uh, and things mainly to do with his kind of poor choices. And he begins his life kind of unravels towards the end. It doesn't really end very well. Uh, And so this is getting towards 1 Chronicles chapter 21, getting towards the end of his life. Uh, And uh, I'm not really sure what's happening uh, in the uh, kind of history of Israel at the time, but we we find out that there's kind of like a troublesome uh, time for just a minute. So 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. Very good. Okay. Verse 1, it should be on the screen. It says this, Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel, okay? So Satan shows up on the scene and he stands against Israel. He's always going to stand against the people of God, even till this day, he hates people, the people of God. And he incites or tempts David to number Israel, meaning to do a census uh, for Israel. So it, basically this huge temptation uh, for King David to do a census. Now in the chapter, it doesn't give us a whole lot of details as to why that this was a big deal or why that this was a temptation. It just says, says that it wasn't that great of an idea for David to take a census at the time. And so we, we kind of figured out through, through just context clues through the rest of the chapter that it was, would have been sinful for David to have a census at the time, to count the people of Israel. Uh, and there was two primary reasons why a king would want to take up a census of his people. The, the first reason is this, that uh, he wants to know how many people he has so that he can levy taxes against them. He wants to make sure that all the tax revenue that he is due as the king is going to come in. The second reason is he wants to make sure that he is getting as large of an army as he possibly can. Uh, he wants to make sure that there's not anybody out there who is, should be in the army, uh, but they're not for some reason. And so, so taxes and a bigger army. So essentially, you, could, you can kind of say that, that, that David wanted to make sure that he took a census because it, it exposes some of his sin. It exposes some idolatry on his part. And what it exposes is that it's possible that in his own heart, he was exposing greed. He wanted more money towards the end of his life, as if he didn't have enough already. He wanted more money. He got a little greedy. He also had a bit of a pride problem. He wanted his army to be bigger. He wanted more and more people to be a part of his army. He also had a safety problem. He was a a little paranoid of other nations coming against the nation of Israel, didn't trust that God was going to protect them, and so he needed more people in his army to be able to protect towards the end of his life. So you have greed, you've got pride, you've you've got trust kind of 
thing that's happening here. Uh, so he's, he's having some problems, uh, fearing for his own safety. Uh, and so essentially uh, he says, if I take a census, it will enable me to tax the people more, raise a greater army, and for both my legacy and my own safety. So he goes ahead and orders the census to be taken, even against the wishes of his counselors. Uh, so this takes roughly about nine months to a year, uh, and they come back and they give him the numbers. And almost as if the, the numbers come in, the results come in, and immediately he is convicted by the Lord that this was a sinful act, that he shouldn't have done it, uh, and he's convicted by the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, and so we read in verse 7 and 8, so skip down to verse 7 and 8, it'll be up on the screen. It says, but God was displeased with this thing, and he struck Israel. And David said to God, I have sinned greatly and that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity or sin, take away the sin of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. So David is convicted of his sin and he pleads for forgiveness. Now remember, this is pre-Jesus, okay? This is pre-Jesus. So forgiveness back in the Old Testament looked a little different than it does for us today. Praise the Lord, okay? We're, I'm thankful for forgiveness in Jesus, and we don't have to do things, crazy things like they did in the Old Testament. But what happens is through the rest of the story, basically a, one of the prophets comes and talks to David and says, hey, uh, there's a consequence to your action. There's a consequence to your sin, and the Lord is allowing you to choose your consequence. Either you're going to have three years of famine, or you're going to have three years of other opposing armies coming and devastating you. I'm sorry, three, three years of famine, three months of other, other uh, nations coming against you. Or three days of the sword of the Lord, which is a very interesting phrase. The sword of the Lord is going to come against you for three days. Now, I, now it doesn't tell us what that even means. It just says that the, the, the wrath of God is going to come onto the people of Israel for three days. And David chooses God. He chooses the three days. Not really sure if he chose the shorter time period, or he just thought that maybe the Lord will have some mercy upon him and the people of Israel. So he goes ahead and chooses the Lord's wrath, okay? Uh, so he chooses that final one. Now, <clears throat> Now, again, lots of details not in the story. Uh, the chronicler just kind of goes through, just says these things like it's normal. So uh, this pestilence or wrath of God comes upon the people. It says that 70,000 people died in the nation of Israel. A lot of people died. Uh, and, and it doesn't tell us how they died. It just said that the wrath of the Lord kind of came upon the people of Israel. Uh, and David sees what is an angel or an angel of wrath on top of a hill, on top of a mountain named Moriah. And so he sees this angel, which is a very fascinating thing. And he, want, he, and, and he sees that the angel is about to destroy the, his own city, the city of Jerusalem. It's sitting on top of this hill. It's on this kind of what's called a threshing floor, which is kind of like a, a place where people would mill wheat. And so it's sitting on top of this threshing floor and it's doling out the wrath of God from that place. And so David approaches and wants to, what he wants to do is he wants to kind of do his penance in the same place where the angel is, is giving wrath out. Okay. So he sees not only that the angel is doling out the wrath, but he also sees that before he destroys the city of Jerusalem, that God stays his hand and he stops him from destroying the city of Israel. So David, David sees that the angel has stopped and God has given mercy. So both from the same place, we have the wrath of God and the mercy of God in this one place. And so David approaches this location and it is owned by a guy named Ornan. 
Ornan. That's his name. It's owned by him, and he is a wheat farmer. Uh, and, so, and, and so he has this kind of place where he, uh, where he kind of gets the wheat from the chaff, and it's kind of a complicated Old Testament way of farming. But uh, <clears throat> So in this spot, you have the wrath of God and the mercy of God all happening at the same time. And so David, in his kind of caravan, approach uh, Ornan. And they say, in, in verse 21, so if you look in the scripture, verse 21, it says this. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor, or this kind of place where he mills wheat, and paid homage to David with his face to the ground as his king. And David said to Ornan, give me the side of the threshing floor that I I might build an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at its full price. He wanted to buy it that the plague might may, may be averted from the people. So David comes to Ornan and he says, listen, I, this site right here, your farm, I want to buy it. I need to buy it because I need to set up an altar or a place where we can come and worship the Lord so that the Lord will stay his wrath. And so Ornan comes out and it's very interesting. He says, you know, so David's like, I need to buy this land from you. Please sell it to me at full price. And Ornan comes out and he's like, yo, you're my king. This is the king approaching him. King David is approaching him and wants to buy his land. And so Ornan comes out very generously and says this in verse 23. Then Ornan said to David, take it and let my Lord, the king do what seems good to him. See, I give the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. What a generous heart. Shows up one day to your workplace. He's like, yo, I need your whole office building, right? I need the whole thing. I need the land. I need the, I need the copy machines. I need everything you got. I'm going to buy it from you. And, and Ornan's is like, no, I, you're my king. I'll give it to you. You can have it all. You can have everything. You can have the bulls and the wheat and everything you need for the sacrifices, the stones, the wood, everything. You can have everything. Very generous. But this is David's response in verse 24. But King David said to Ornan, no, but I will buy them for the full price. For I will not take for the Lord what is yours nor offer burnt offerings, get this and underline it, here it is, this is the, the whole message, that, that I will not offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David paid Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. So David comes out and he insists on paying for this. And he says, I'm not going to sacrifice something to the Lord that is not a sacrifice for me. If you just simply give me everything for the sacrifice, it has costed me nothing. And therefore it defeats the whole idea of a sacrifice to begin with. And so he says then in verse 26, finishing up, he says, and David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar of the burnt offering. Then the Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back into its sheath. Basically, God says, I'm going to have mercy. All the three days is over. The wrath is over. I'm going to have mercy and accept your worship on that spot. So here's where it gets real fun, just biblical history. It's kind of fun stuff. So if you look at um, just the next chapter, chapter 22, verse 1, it says this. Then David said, here, here shall be the house of the Lord 
the Lord God and hear the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So right then, and so just a little history, David wanted to build the temple of God. He was already building the city of Israel, which is Jerusalem. And he wanted in his heart, he wanted to build for God this amazing temple, like the biggest and best, most majestic temple. And God told him, no, you will not build the temple because your hands have been in too much war and you've got too much blood on your hands. I'm going to allow your son, Solomon, to build the temple. You will not build it. But David has been trying to figure out where is the temple going to be? And he wants to prepare everything for his son, Solomon. And so in in, uh, this land that he finds where the wrath of God and the mercy of God both meet on this one spot, he's going to, he's going to, he's bought this place. He now owns it. And now he's going to give it as the temple. This is the place where the temple of God is going to rest. Now here's the fun part. And you don't have to turn there, but second Chronicles, if you turn to the next book, but in second Chronicles uh, three, we find out that this site is Mount Moriah, the same site where Abraham, the, the, uh, the father in Genesis who, kind of, who was the start of the nation of Israel, God told him to sacrifice his son on an altar on Mount Moriah, on this very spot. Now, he didn't sacrifice him because God allowed him to, it gave him a substitute instead, so he didn't sacrifice him, but on this spot. Now, so you have Abraham and his sacrifice of his son, you have David where the wrath and the mercy of God meet on this spot. Do you know what else happened on Mount Moriah? The cross of Christ happened on that very spot where the mercy of God and the wrath of God meet right then and there. And it happened because you have one generous person saying, I will give you this spot. I'll give you everything you need for the sacrifice. And then King David saying, no, I need to pay for this. It's not a sacrifice unless it costs me something. So you see wonderful biblical history all coming together in one spot. And so David comes to some preparations. This is chapter 22, verse two. And he says this, David commanded to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. So David also provided great quantities of iron for nails, for the doors of the gates, and for clamps, and as well as bronze and quantities beyond weighing. And the cedar timbers without number for the Sidians and Tyrians uh, brought great quantities of, ce- of cedar to David. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is, that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all the lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided the materials in great quantity before his death. So he is preparing everything for Solomon to do a great job. He's making sure that everything is ready for the worship and the altar of the Lord. That's what David's doing. He knows that he can't build it, but he's preparing for it. So I want you to hold that story in your head while I walk through the rest of this. I tell it to you for a reason. We are indeed building a place of worship right off that door. And we are a couple months away from moving into it. And it has cost us a lot. There's a lot being sacrificed in that place. And we're taking this kind of massive step 
towards this new location for worship in the life of our church. And I have to tell you this, it's so important to me and I believe that it's important to God that our hearts are in the right place when we go. Our hearts have to be in the right place. So I want to see within David and within this guy Ornan, I want us to see and have their heart for this kind of building and how much it's going to cost us to do worship in this place. The first thing we need, if you're taking notes, I believe the first thing that we need as a church is a heart of repentance. A heart of repentance, if you're taking notes. You see that story. So David sins against the Lord. He takes this census. And then in verse 7 and 8 in, in chapter 21, you see David's heart of repentance. He wanted, a, he wanted a bigger kingdom. He wanted more money. He, want, he had greed and power and fear, and he didn't trust the Lord. We could have that same thing. The Bible tells us that all of us are sinners, and we're all broken, and we all have these uh, kind of natural tendencies to go to go towards fear and we don't trust the Lord and we go towards greed and we go towards pride. My heart is, is that we as a church would not be collectively any of those things, but that we would all the time be repenting. Because what, would ha- what happens to a church usually, and pastors warn me about this all the time, going into a new building, is that uh, if we go into this building, we will, we will naturally turn in towards one another and we will forget about our calling towards the mission of God. For every man, woman, and child, we have multiple opportunities to hear, see, and respond to the gospel. That is why our church exists. But if we move into a building and we keep on thinking about ourselves and what's best for us, and what's best for this building, what's best for our kids, what's best for our people, then our, we will just be thinking about ourselves and become very greedy, become very prideful. And it's all about the growth of our church, not his kingdom. So I want to be very careful about that and have a heart of repentance. And, and just like David, kind of come to a place where like, we're gonna come repentant and humble to a place of worship. The second thing I think that we need is we need the heart of generosity. We need a heart of generosity, just like Ornan, where you know, David shows up on the scene and says, hey, I need you to sell me this piece of land. And Ornan's like, hey, you can just have it. You can have everything I got. I'm, I wanna sacrifice it for you. You can have everything. So I love that heart of generosity. And what I've seen for the past two years as we've been walking through uh, this thing called, called the Advance Campaign where we're trying to raise enough money to get into this building, I've seen tons of people every month who sacrifice over and above a tithe, which is 10% of your income. There's tons of people who do that. They give over and above their tithe every month to make sure that we're moving into this building. We have complete strangers that walk into this place maybe one time, maybe they're visiting family, and they go ahead and they give to us money so that we can make sure that place happens. Uh, We've had people that have never even been inside of this church who mail us money or give to us money online because they've heard of the good work that we're trying to do. One of my favorites is I love when I hear stories, parents will tell me that their children have either sold toys or sold stuff or they sold lemonade or whatever it is, and they make a contribution towards, they're just, they're teaching their children generosity towards something of a place of worship, that it's going to cost them something. I, I even ha- had a story a couple months ago of a woodworker, uh, the, he like makes various things in his shop, and uh, he made an urn, which is, you know, a place where you put ashes for a body, which is very interesting. He's like, I'm, I'm going to give the church the urn, and I'm like, I, I don't need one. Um, and uh, 
Uh, and, uh, and so what ended up happening was he, he, sold it, uh, to, he sold it to a friend of his that had a family member die, and it was like 600 bucks, and he gave that, all that money to the, the advance campaign. Well, it was a kind of interesting way of giving money, uh, but, but it, was, it, was still, it was still a fantastic way of doing that. Um, I, I just love seeing that. And a lot of you guys have purchased chairs. Uh, thankfully, all the, all the chairs have been purchased. They want to deliver them. We want to have them. Uh, and so uh, thank you guys for all of you who have purchased chairs and just given of yourselves and given uh, very generously. So here's, I want to give you some stats as to where we are uh, with the advanced campaign. I think that we got a slide up here. So here's where we are. This is the advanced campaign giving. Our goal is $250,000. And so far, uh, we've been able to raise 182000 and a little bit more. Uh, and so that, that's kind of where we are. And not only, it's not just about money. We've had a ton of people also who have given their time and their talent. We've had a lot of wiring, all, this, all these wires that you see up on the stage, they have to go into the building before um, the drywall goes up. So we've had guys there sweating through, putting cabling in and wires in. They've been giving their time uh, to do that. Uh, we've, had, uh, we've had some skilled craftsmen who are building furniture pieces and putting together things for that. Uh, we've got a decor team, like a design team, who's giving their time to make sure that this place looks pretty good. And probably most importantly, we've had folks who have come, to, uh, the, come into the building just to pray for the building. And they write messages all over the walls and they've written scripture on the walls. And they sit there and they'll pray long paragraphs all over the wood. Uh, it's been fun. And, and, and some of the workers, it's so fun, the construction workers who may probably don't go to church, they, they, they comment on those and they say, well, you know, what does that mean? And they'll, they want to talk about I mean, what they see on the walls. And it's, it's fun to kind of walk them through the gospel story as to why people would want to do that. Here's some scripture that talks about Jesus. And they want to talk about, um, they, they want to talk about why would somebody write that kind of stuff on the walls. All of this stems from this deep heart of generosity. And there's just fo- the folks are just rolling out the red carpet for the king, just like, just like Ornan. It's just like, I'm going I'm to give to you everything I've got, my skills, my talent, my treasure. I'm giving to you, to my king, so that we can have a place of, wor- of worship. And I love that heart of generosity. So what we also need to have is a heart of sacrifice. And this is David's heart. This is David's heart. So you have Ornan who just wanted to give it all to the king and then you have David's heart who says, no, I'm going to pay for it because if I don't, it's not a sacrifice. Something that doesn't cost me anything isn't a sacrifice at all. So the question for us as a church is how are we going to finish this thing? How are we going to make sure that we finish the advance and we uh, you know, do a really healthy way of moving into this building? How are we going to do that? What is the church, what is our role in this area of sacrifice? What is, what is it going to cost us to make sure that we can get this? And I, I gotta tell you, it's, it's heart check time. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some stats. I'm gonna tell you what's going on, kind of give you some reality of where we are. And it's kind of time for us to do a little bit of a heart check to make sure that we are sacrificing what needs to happen so that we can move into this place of worship. So here's where we are kind of financially as a church. This isn't the advanced campaign. This is where we are financially as a church. So for this year, for, uh, for January through July, our needed budget, what we need to function through the ministry of the church is about $177,000. Uh, and so what we've received so far is $165,000. And so what you'll see there is a shortfall of roughly, uh, roughly $11,500. So, uh, we're, so we're, we're kind of working on a deficit right now. And so what we're hoping 
for is folks will be challenged and say, hey, we, I want to make sure that we're tithing, that we're giving um, as the Lord commands us to. The prescription in the Bible is this idea of a tithe, that we give 10% of our income towards the local church. Um, and we know very well, and you guys may have heard me say this before, that everything is owned by God. Everything we have, the shirt on your back, the arm, your hands, your, you know, your body, everything about you, this building, everything is owned by God. Everything that you have, your car, your house, your clothes, everything is owned by God. Your children, everything. And the question is, how are we going to steward or manage what God has given to us? How are we going to steward our body? How are we going to steward our family? How are we going to steward our finances? And what the Bible tells us as far as a prescription on how to steward our finances is that we should first give him the t- the, a tithe or 10% of our income. So where we are right now in a median income of our area is we're right at about 4.2%. So we're not exactly, we're not, we're not there yet. And we got some room to grow in there. Is that our church is roughly giving not 10%, but 4.2%. And so my hope is, is that you would be challenged because as we, as we as a church, we plead, we plead with the Lord. We want the Lord to hear us. We say, Lord, please hear our prayers. Hear what you have to hear, hear, hear us. We want you to hear our prayers. The question is, are we listening to him? We want him to hear us. Are we listening to what he has for us? We pray and ask God, please bless our lives and bless our homes. I think he has. He really has. And so the question is, are we willing to bless others with our wealth and what we have? We ask him all the time, are you going to protect us? And I think that he has. Are we going to risk our own security, maybe by giving away some of the things that we have so that we can say we're trusting you and that we believe that you're going to provide? So the question, I think God has been the faithful one. God has been the one that has given generously to us. The question is, are we going to respond in faithfulness to him? And I mean, so are you going to get serious? And the question is for some of you in this room, are you going to be serious in the area of faithful giving? When the Bible prescribes prescribes obedience, are we going to be faithful in our finances? Now earlier, uh, so let's talk about the advance campaign. So earlier, I put up a stat on the screen. You might have noticed. Uh, so our goal for the, fin- for the advance campaign was $250,000, and we're at $182,000. Uh, and so we have a shortfall there of a roughly $67,000. Now, uh, the advance campaign started uh, in October of 2015, so it is, it is slated to end uh, at the end of September uh, of this year. So we've got, we got a two-year campaign, uh, and so we're slated to end. So we've got a lot of room to grow here. So six Sixty-seven thousand uh, dollars, and so, but here, and so, I want to make sure that we kind of put this in terms. How are we going to get? How are we going to make up sixty-seven thousand uh, dollars within two months? And that's a very good question. And I'm praying uh, that 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 deficit is taken care of. I really am, and, and it's an everyday thing for me. And I hope that you would join me in that prayer. That 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 amount of money uh, is is given and taken care of, so we can move into this building and won't be a won't be any kind of problem. And I know that God has it. I know that God owns everything. I mean, $67,000 to God is like the, the lint in his car seats, right? Uh, and so, like, God, God has that. Like, that, that's, not a, that's not a problem. The question is, is whether God is going to partner with us or whether he's just going to give it to us or he's going to partner with our faithfulness and say, the church at Cane Bay needs to be working towards this goal. 
Uh, and so the question is, how are we going to get to this $67,000 figure uh, within the next couple months? And uh, so I want to break it down. And here's how that, here's how that figure uh, kind of goes. So the, the first thing is we, we had a line item in our budget. Uh, we have a line item in our budget for uh, what we call our Nairobi initiative, which is about $22,000. So it was a 10% tithe out of this giving campaign to what we're trying to accomplish in, in Africa by setting up a home for uh, folks who come to Christ who are of the Islamic faith and they're they were kind of like a halfway house for them to get reestablished after they get kicked out of their community. Um, the, the bad news is we don't have that amount of money yet. Uh, the good news is, is they're actually not ready for it yet. Uh, and so the folks over in Nairobi, they're still in kind of concept phases. They don't know yet where they're going to spend the money. Uh, and so we were over there kind of talking with them and they said, well, even if you gave us the money right now, we wouldn't have any place to spend it on. Uh, so they're working through those details and they just said, hey, give us some time uh, before you send them. We don't need to send that money right now. So the good news is, is, uh, the good news is, is that we don't need this amount of money right now. We are going to get to it a little bit later. Uh, the second thing is we, we put in our, into our budget a $24,000 line item for rent subsidy. Uh, what that means is we, we, our, our rent in the building is going to be higher than what we pay now, roughly about $2,000 more a month. And so we put a rent subsidy uh, in there uh, so that we can make sure that we can pay the rent. <clears throat> the good news is uh, with that is that we can, we can move some things around in our budget and we are able to afford the rent with our current budget, which is really good. Uh, it, would be, it would be nice to be able to have that, obviously have that amount of money so that we can do more staffing wise. Uh, but uh, the good news is we really actually don't need that rent subsidy. So what that leaves for us is about $22,000. Um, so what I think over the next kind of two months, we have folks that are giving monthly, <coughs> excuse me, that are giving monthly. And I think that'll, that'll end with just folks giving their pledges. Uh, at the end of this thing, it'll be about $2,000 uh, that they'll give. So what, what it leaves for us is about $20,000 left. Uh, and so it, it, we kind of broke that whole thing. We had $67,000 left. Really, uh, we got about $20,000 left that we need to be able to move into the building. Now, here is uh, some good news. The good news is uh, that we have all the money that we need for chairs, and we have the money that we need for our basic sound system, our audio system. We have the money for that. What we don't have the money for is pretty much everything else. <laughs> uh, and so uh, we need, we, there's no money for signage, uh, for stuff for the kids' classrooms. Uh, there's no furniture. There's no decor. There's no band equipment. Uh, and uh, there's no promotional material that we might need to get the word out about the building. So, uh, so that's what that $20,000 pretty much covers. Uh, and so we have enough money. The good news is we are going to move into the building. So I'm going to tell you that right off. That's the good news. The good news is we are, we are going to move into the building. Uh, and so it, because it is functional, uh, we will be able to move into a building that is functional and able to use it. Uh, the question is whether it's going to be home. Because I don't know if you've ever done this before, but like, have you ever moved into a new home and you really don't, your moving truck didn't show up, Right? So you, you, you go in and, and like there's a mattress on the floor, but you don't have any furniture. And you, know, you don't have any pots and pans, but you got some paper plates and you have to eat out. Like, has anybody ever done that before? It's like, I don't know, I have, everything I own is in a truck somewhere else. And I don't, you know, and, and so I'm just sitting on the floor. I don't have a TV. I don't even have a board game. So we're just all going to stand around and look at each other. You know, so like, uh, so pretty much that's the status as to where we are. Uh, we've got the things to make the, the place functional, uh, but it's just not going to feel like home unless we raise uh, the $20,000 necessary to do some of these things. And so, um, and so that's, where I, that's where I'm wanting to do. We need, we need to 
purchase some furniture, uh, some decor, signage to make sure people know where they're going. Uh, there's uh, stuff that goes in the children's classrooms that are children's ministry needs, all of these things. So $20,000 is a large chunk of money. I recognize that, that it is. And so I'm not, re- I'm not expecting anybody in this room, if you want to, you can do this, but uh, I'm not expecting anybody in this room to just hand me a $20,000 check. If you want to, that'd be great. Um, but um, but probably not going to happen. That's okay. Uh, and so what I want to do is maybe broke it down into more bite-sized pieces for, the, for us to kind of crowdsource this thing together and to finish this campaign. And so $20,000, I roughly, in my brain, God gave this to me and he, and he was just like, you know what? If you can just do, get 200 people to give $100, then we'd have it. And I don't think that that would be too hard. And so we're going to, over the next couple months, we're going to do this thing called 200 by 100, where we're going to try to get 200 people to give 100 bucks. And if we can do that, then we can raise the amount of money that we need to make sure that this thing uh, happens. And I believe, uh, I truly believe that we can do this. Uh, I believe that there's plenty of of families here that can make that happen, uh, and we can move forward in making sure that we have everything we need uh, to move into this building. The cool thing is, is that we still have, I mean, we have people like Ornan in the story. We have people that have literally been giving to this thing for a very long time. Even people that have left our church in a good way, they've left and they've either like they've gotten orders or they've gotten another job or they transferred to another state. We have one family that transferred to another state. I forget where they live. They live up in New England somewhere and they still give like 600 bucks a month to our church to make sure that this thing can move forward. So there's people who are sacrificing for this thing to happen to make, and, and they're giving and they're giving and they're giving to make sure that this thing happens. And, but I think, but they're never going to enjoy it. They're never going to be here. They're never going to be a part of worship at the church of Cane Bay. They live elsewhere, but they're being generous to a place that they're never going to worship. Now we have a choice as a people who are going to enjoy that building. We can choose to say, okay, we're just going to accept their gifts and waltz into that building. Or we can say like David, no, this isn't a sacrifice unless it costs me something. It has to cost me something in order for this to be a sacrifice. And so I want, I want us to make sure that we're thinking uh, in that way. So I want to ask you today, I want you to give. I want you to think through what it would be like in your head, in your pocketbook, what would it look like if you gave $100? Could you be one of those people that give $100 to make sure that this thing happens? Is it possible that you could go home and talk to your children? I don't care how small they are. Talk to your children. Hey guys, what would it look like? I'm going to do this with my own kids. Guys, what would it be like? What can we do that we as a family can raise $100 that you guys can work for to raise $100 so that we can give towards the advance campaign. That's one of the things that I'm going to be doing with my children. What would it look like if you walked into your workplace? The same people that you go to and they notice a change in your life because God's working in your life. What if, and you've talked to them about your church, what if you asked them, is it possible that they could give? Is it possible, because I know that there's several of you in this room, is it possible that those family members that don't live here, that they know that you go to church now, they know that you have a relationship with God now, and they're super excited that you go to church, that you're invested in a relationship with Jesus, and they're super excited. Would it not be okay to to actually ask them and say, hey, my church is doing this thing. Is it possible for you to give $100? Maybe you know somebody that's wealthy and is generous, and maybe you just want to set me up a meeting with them, and I can talk with them about the vision of Cane Bay. I would love to do that uh, as well. But any way that you can help us uh, make this 
happen. Uh, and, and at the end of this message, we're going to have a time of giving, and I hope that you would think through what would it look like for you to give and be a part of this kind of 200 by 100 to make sure that we can get to this goal of $20,000. Now, <clears throat> that's not the only thing that I want you to give. Uh, so in your bulletin this morning, you should have received a survey. Uh, and it said, uh, it's kind of like a skills survey. And, uh, and so what that is, is I, we want you guys to be able to put your hands to this thing. Uh, we're going to need a lot of folks with a lot of skills, or maybe even not really even skilled at all. Uh, but we need you. Uh, and so we're going to have crews that are going to paint, put together furniture. They're going to put up stuff. They're going to put in, also install things, landscaping. Uh, there's all sorts of things listed on that piece of paper that I would love for you to fill out. So if you, if you want to be invested in putting your hands into this whole project and being with us, I would love for you to do that. So uh, you, you can fill that out right now while I'm talking. That's fine. Uh, and then in the baskets that are going to go around at the end of the sermon, my hope is, is that you'll hand in that thing so we can know who to call upon when we need specific specific needs met uh, within the new building moving in. So we'd love for you to do that uh, and, and have your hands into this thing. And lastly, uh, so, we have, so we have a kind of a, a heart of repentance, a heart of generosity, a heart of sacrifice, and the last one is this, the heart of preparation. The heart of preparation. See, David, when he's thinking about the temple, he wants to build the temple so badly. David wanted to build it, but God said no. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to prepare this place for Solomon. That's what we're doing. This ministry, this church, this building is going to be around a lot longer than all of us. Is it possible that we are preparing for the next generation to come? Will this place be an epicenter for students to come in, to be called, to be discipled, to be sent out as missionaries from that place? Is it possible that, that children are going to find a place where they're going to find Jesus for the first time? Is it possible that we're going to be a place of refuge for our community? We're going to have weddings and celebrations in there. These are the things that we're investing in, that we're preparing for. And like David, I want us to have his heart of preparation. It's not just about us, but it's about this community and how we are going to be an epicenter for, for sending people out to the nations, like Michelle said earlier. Are we going to be a people, a people who send people out to plant new churches? This is going to be a place where we're going to have new churches, new church plants, meet for worship, and then they get sent out from that place to plant a new church. We're going to have that happening. It's going to be fun. We'll probably have like three or four churches going at one time. I mean, awesome. Uh, so, I mean, it's just going to be so much fun to see what God is going to do through this building, and my hope is that we have a heart for preparation. Um, now, I want you to hear me as we end up. Okay, we're going to finish up. Um, I have to tell you this. I am really tired of talking about money. Um, it's not my favorite thing to do. Uh, I don't like talking about money uh, as it pertains to this building. And, um, and I'm, I, know that, I, I know that you're tired of hearing about it, and I'm just as tired about talking about it. So my hope is, is that we can finish this thing, that we can be done. Now, here's what I like to do. I like to give stuff away. I want our church to be incredibly generous. I love talking about biblical generosity. I, like, I love seeing when people come to a place where they feel like God has gifted them with so much and that they can begin to give stuff away. Somebody was asking me yesterday about Creekside Church, our new church plant. 
And, uh, and they were like, what are you giving? I said, well, we're giving literally everything we own. The sound system is $30,000 worth of equipment. They're, they're getting it. Um, what about what else? And we're giving thousands of dollars to them to plant this new church, to Compass Church. Giving $22,000 to Africa to make sure that people have a place to go when they come to faith in Christ after leaving Islam. I want us to be a church that keeps on giving away and giving away and giving away. And I want to keep on giving away people, giving away our best people to go plant new churches so that more people can know the Lord. I want us to be an incredibly generous church. So help me finish this. Let's stop talking about money for a building. Let's start talking about how we're going to be generous in other ways. And I'm excited uh, about our church's kind of path forward. And so my hope is that we're going to take this offering now uh, my hope is, is that you guys would think about how you are going to give, how the worship is going to cost you something, and what that means for you and your family. So thanks for listening to me, uh, and let's pray together. The ushers can come up and grab these baskets, by the way. Father, thank you um, for a chance to love you um, and care for you in a place where we can, we can gather together as a church. Um, we're grateful that you have gifted us with a chance to read your scripture. Um, God, thank you for giving this, this kind of random story uh, from the Old Testament. And, and sometimes we think things are really obscure, but it means a whole lot for our church. So thank you. Um, God, I pray that we would be a generous church. I'm looking forward to letting go of the advance campaign. I'm looking forward to when it's done and we can look forward to much grander and greater things that you are doing in our community and that we can give away a whole lot more. We can give away a whole lot more people and we can give away a whole lot more things and be able to plant more churches and see more disciples made and student ministry growth and children's ministry growth and be able to give our treasure to those things, God. But we have this thing that we, that we have to give towards now and I know that you're going to use this tool to be effective for kingdom ministry. So thank you um, for an opportunity to talk about it. God, I pray that our hearts would be soft and not hardened. Um, God, I pray that we would be people that would be generous. God, you've gifted us with a great morning of worship.